2: this is the investing power hour number 71 as we chug along during the dog days of summer here i'm joined as always by ryan henderson Uh, on these episodes we talk about whatever we want really about the investing world probably going to be a lot of earnings this week i know i got a good thing from a Substack called necker value uh about behind the curtains of Buffett's life so a little bit of Buffett could be fun I saw some good tidbits there Ryan anything on the docket for you
0: uh it's, I've
1: been swamped this week in earnings and just work in general so I haven't had as much time to kind of do that much reading but I saw I don't think last last week we didn't speak about Amazon's earnings right
2: that was, no we didn't yeah because that was late yeah, yeah
1: that'll be interesting and then icon enterprises after the short report um they ended up having to cut their dividend by 50 percent. so looks like I mean that's really all I know about it so I guess that's my whole story but
2: we're gonna have to cover the poster in my (laughs) (laughs) behind me here uh yeah for those that don't
1: know for those that are listening Brett has a poster behind him with Buffett Munger and Carl icon so it aged poorly
2: it did. It has. Well, you know, the story's not over yet, but it seems like they're in a tough situation and kind of strangely got ahead of their skis there. But Ryan, why don't you want to talk Amazon first? Why don't you go first on that one? What, what were your thoughts?
1: Well, I thought it was a really good quarter, same as everyone else. Um, it's one of those, them and Google, it just feels so easy to own. And it's funny, like we were non- the magnificent 7 we kind of avoided owning for a long time not necessarily on purpose but we just i don't know maybe it was just cuz they were so big we kind of thought what's left in terms of like edge there what kind of like what's uh, can it really grow that much and i got to say switching teams and moving to the the cheerleaders for the magnificent 7 i am all on board cuz now i i look at all the takes that are like you can't beat P owning the Magnificent Seven. You got to be in like small cap and special situations. And I'm like, no, that just isn't true. <laughs> Here we are. It's uh, Amazon had a great report and it just kind of reminds me how well some of these companies are really run and kind of the vast resources and the advantages that they have now at this point. Amazon's retail business turned to profitability. I question whether or not, I mean, Advertising is included in there, and that's twenty two. That's forty one billion dollars of pure margin, pretty much. So I question how profitable the actual retail, like delivery business is. Probably not very profitable. Um, But it's, I mean, advertising is a part of that business, so um in aggregate it was profitable both between the international segment and the north american combined which is a huge improvement from last year they talked about the cost savings that they're generating moving to like these new smaller regional hubs instead of one big national delivery network um aws reaccelerated, i guess or it's
2: like not stabilizing st- um, that, stabilizing that s- stabilizing, and re- re-accelerating it's not the right term but i guess it's stable
1: Reaccelerating relative to their expectations from last quarter.
2: (laughs) Yeah, the third derivative is is coming into play there.
1: No, it's uh no. Okay, I mean Willis Cap on Twitter had this take that
2: I think he was semi joking, but also
1: not. Yeah, it was when Amazon was, I think, is like in the nineties, like not like ninety dollars a share area. He basically said fast forward one year aws has re-accelerated retail is profitable again amazon's a 200 dollars stock now it's not a 200 dollars stock but i think he he may end up being right on both those two big assumptions and i'm kind of bummed because we size the position pretty small we own it i guess for anyone that doesn't know and to be honest it was my my caution that ended up leading us to sizing it too small because I was worried that retail just wouldn't be able to just turn the corner to profitability dead wrong. I think when you, when you got a fast pitch, bet big. And and that was, I mean, hindsight, clearly a fast pitch or a fat pitch.
2: Yeah. uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll let it slide. Or I guess the other, (laughs) I'm the only other person on the investing team. So we've talked about, it's important to not, you know, everyone's going to have mistakes. Uh, I've met plenty of them. The, I think the one thing I'd push back on you there is that I don't think it's that retail is necessarily unprofitable. It's that they're still profitable despite the fact that they're investing a ton in Alexa. They're investing in a ton of these generative AI things for whatever reason. They're investing a ton in this healthcare stuff, Project Kuiper. The list goes on and on and on. We actually did a giant we try to compile every single other bets they were doing during our, one of our not so deep dive episodes. I think we did that right at the beginning of 2023. And it was actually much bigger than I even thought. So when you combine the fact that third-party sellers are growing at close to 20%, uh, advertising is growing 20%, subscription services are growing at a double digit rate. I think it's pretty clear that retail could grow its profitability for a long while if they wanted to but i think the big concern still is going forward whether they waste a lot of money on these things or some of the stuff like alexa everything outside of the retail and aws segment or the core retail and aws segment never really materializes and gets a positive uh
1: return on invested capital yeah i guess that's a good point the retail's definitely got to be profitable if they're losing money in all those other segments because, I mean, I don't know. I guess you kind of forget about them just because of the way they categorize their revenue, North American, international, and AWS. And so I always think like, uh, I guess I just paint it as North American retail, international retail, and AWS, but it's really kind of a lot more under that hood. So yeah, third-party seller services growing like a weed, Advertisers. Our advertising services growing like a weed. Those two both have to be pretty well, good margins. Higher margins than their core business. So
0: yeah.
2: I th- I think if if third-party sellers and advertising is growing at more than 10% or close to 20% like they have this quarter, it'll be pretty hard to lose money over the long term as long as AWS isn't dead like people say. Which I think was interesting. The context there again, we don't we really give ourselves a big handicap on AWS because we're not experts in that industry. We really keep ourselves off footing there, you know? So we really wanted to invest in the, the stock when we could buy cheaply, you know, a business that we do understand, which is the retail arm. But the note they had in AWS was that, like they they tried to put into context for the investors where They said that everyone's pulling back, they're optimizing spend for their customers, and so they're decreasing costs for a lot of their customers that were existing, but they still grew revenue 12% on a giant revenue base. So that means like they're trying to hold everyone's hand and say, hey, look, we're still attracting a ton of new customers that are going to eventually... Start getting a nice dollar based, whatever. They don't give out a you know dollar net expansion rate number, but they're going to eventually start spending more and more with us as they grow over the next five, 10 years.
1: We do have a question in the chat from Mark USA it says, Can't stay for the live show, but we'll catch up later. If you guys could give your quick view on now on that earnings, it would be appreciated.
2: Yeah, we'll keep that note. Yeah, that'd be we fun.
1: Haven't, uh, we haven't talked about it yet. Uh, what were your thoughts from the quarter?
2: Yeah, well, do we have anything else on Amazon? I think. That was all for me. Pretty steady. No big surprises. Anything else before we go to Nellie?
1: No, I thought it was, it was a pretty dang good quarter across the board. It's fun to have Andy Jassy on the calls. You kind of quickly realize how competent he really is. I talked and...
2: with a random guy in, in Seattle who worked with him and said that he was the smartest guy he ever met. And I guess it's probably true listening to how smart he is.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm just... I've kind of been looking at the numbers revisiting them for some articles I've written about Amazon and it they spent 41 billion dollars in capex in 2020, 61 billion in 2021 and 63 billion in 2022. I just don't know any and now I'd say probably half of that maybe 60% of that has been like fulfillment network delivery. And the other half, and there's other stuff in there as well, but the other half is kind of uh, server space for AWS. I don't understand how companies could compete with that. I mean, Microsoft may be on the cloud front, but there's no delivery business that's going to be able to invest that much money. And it's just kind of, as long as they have the right people in there and they're willing to invest that much money, they're just going to deepen their moat every year.
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: Yeah. I think one concern in the near term is that the UPS contract got revised and the salaries got raised a ton. So that could maybe put a lot of pressure on the wages over at delivery warehouses, that type of stuff. But, you know, they get get a lot of flack for that. They get a lot of flack for that. Did you see that that.
1: thing about that what do they deliver five packages an hour you see that tweet or whatever no i didn't uh it was one of our uh i guess idols jason kalaknas uh and we don't usually i'm not criticizing by name because i uh, he's had some takes i like takes i don't like i have nothing he's definitely
2: not not yeah of the all-in pod he's maybe the one i like
1: (laughs) yeah you know he gets a bad rap sometimes i think but um. Some of that's probably self inflicted. He had this like tweet. He's like, "Can't believe UPS drivers are making this much money." He's like, he tried to do the math to like, what's the revenue per package they deliver? And he's like, "What are they? How many packages are they delivering an hour? What five? Oh boy! <laughs> everyone yeah. was like, "Okay, so he's never worked a labor job." <laughs> yeah,
2: well, that's how it goes. I think they yeah, they should get paid.
1: <laughs> I do think sometimes a lot they, more than they do,
2: but yeah
1: I think it's a hard job they make everyone feel great whenever the people see them their package is getting delivered it's fantastic and it is a hard job but the uh I think sometimes all their tweets it's like okay this makes sense makes sense and there's one crazy thing and then it's just engagement bait and it works
2: that's true well now that you get paid for that yeah that's true what do you you think you're going to do for engagement bait I, I, I always do well with stock-based compensation stuff, but it never really goes fully viral. It's too niche. I might do, uh,
1: just big tech, like, oh, I just tweet you about know, big cheerleading. Tech. Yeah. I did like a tweet about like Google's cloud operating margins and how they've improved. And it just like goes viral. Cause I mean, those have the biggest shareholder bases and people just want to like, ch- you know, cheer for their companies. So Yeah. Um, i think maybe we've got to start hopping onto the tesla you know And it, if if you tweet positive things about that it's another big shareholder base you just gotta Buffett,
0: Buffett quotes gold he, crypto tesla
1: even okay. if you don't have any investments in them just tracking them and tweeting stuff about them you're gonna get more engagement yeah sorry our nail net tweets don't really seem to do a whole lot
2: that's true there's about 10 of us on there that follow the company but that's a good segue ryan what do you think of the quarter seems pretty standard to me, except they're just getting compressed. Uh, their net interest margin is getting compressed like a lot of other financials. So they'll hopefully work through that.
1: Yeah. It's kind of hard to have a whole lot of takeaways from this because first of all, there isn't always that much color provided. There's really not yeah. a lot of color provided at like, all. Like why,
2: why did it happen? Why did anything happen? They don't tell us.
1: Yeah. And so you kind of, it really is and
2: i hate saying this
1: but it's just a bunch of trust and management essentially is what you have to have and um they've proven that it's worth trusting them but the gap numbers are kind of yes the net interest margin was getting compressed so it's a bummer plus the i mean just the student loan book is shrinking and then on top of it the student loan servicing the it's not going to factor in the what do they call it the end of the moratorium which is going to be september i think it's official this time it's going to be september yeah Um, so that'll kind of help the loan servicing segment and then i don't know the the really the headline numbers looked kind of bad but if you look at the underlying businesses everything looked pretty good i thought they were
2: yeah their net income is always choppy yeah they were
1: lending a lot at the bank although it's still a small part of the business. They were, they grew the nail net business services quickly. Revenue was up, operating income was up there and loan servicing is kind of in a weird uh, middle ground right now, but all in all, I, mean, I didn't really have a whole lot of takeaways. I think a lot of the shareholders are the same here where they see it and they're like, I don't know what to do with this. And the stock just barely moves
2: yeah i saw this down a little bit i think people may have been surprised with that margin compression but yeah i kind of throw my hands up whenever there's a quarter for for nail They'll it's more of kind of looking at the long-term trend i i like to track maybe book value growth i think that's not a bad thing for a company like this they're also making investments i like to track what they're investing in because they kind of give that out i think they made a decent amount of new solar investments this quarter, which is interesting. So keep tracking that. But besides, there's not really much else. The loan book's gonna do what it is. The loan servicing is kind of paused. And I think the Well, another KPI I really like to look at is the you said business services but it's just that education software and payment stuff i really like to look at revenue for that because that is high margin that is one that's pretty easy to understand what the margins can be for them there so the fact that that's growing pretty quickly was probably the biggest highlight for me
1: yeah sorry if we don't have any more exciting takes and sorry if you've already left by this point cuz i know you could for the whole live show but um i guess what else do you have what uh I think other News wise,
2: I did see, and you know, I guess no one cares about inflation anymore, but it came out today. Can you guess what price were, was inflation lower in July or is it July? Yeah, lower in
0: July than June or higher in July than June? What do you think, Ryan?
1: I have not seen it, so I'm gonna go ahead and guess higher.
2: It was higher, prices rose 3.2% in July from a year ago, outpacing June's inflation rate of three. So yeah, I
1: felt that. I felt that in the bank account.
2: Yeah, you know. <laughs> the zero point two percent change. Um, yeah, I don't have any other takes on that. It seems like that's pretty boring right now. I do. Who have... reported?
1: Coupon reported, and we just had our show that came out on them. Came out
2: we'll three check days it out. ago. Yeah, would we'll check it out.
1: I highly recommend it. And that quarter was another good one. I mean, it's one of those things that doesn't where all my concerns from the episode. I was like, I don't really know if I believe the margin expansion story. And then two days later, they crushed they expanded expand. margins. So they expand like, again. Yeah. It's a little frustrating. But the uh yeah, they I think the thing that really stood out to me was they doubled their capex. I think it was like 160 million last year to 320 million this year. And they still took free cash flow margins from negative, I want to say four percent to let me double check. I wrote it down somewhere. It's like negative four percent to eight percent. Yeah. 1,200 basis point improvement in free cash flow margins while doubling their CapEx.:
2: Yeah, what do I like to say? A working capital advantage will give you capabilities some people may consider unnatural that's the uh, the star electronic. wars quote yeah the but I, it's totally true and it seemed like a great quarter yeah we're still on the watch list for us we'd like to get it at a better price maybe it's one like airbnb that's just going to be on the watch list forever because everyone just keeps at the premium valuation but yeah i think it's a great company they're investing in taiwan which i think is interesting they said that they're seeing good results there but they're still you know, it's gonna be early days, so that's impeding margins as well, but they're doubling, I think, their investment there. I can't remember. I don't have the numbers in front of me, which I think is a great sign. Overall, good quarter. Yeah. Not much else. All what right. Else oh, we have? got a, a comment from oh, Mad's Capital on he's a fun Twitter account. Glad that you guys are on board the shift from first party to third party, and the ads were the main reason I flipped bullish in May 2022. Historically, they've teased margin leverage after investment cycles too. Uh he says need something to create engagement for Finch with at Nelnet can't LOL. Thank you for the show. Yeah, well, you oh, we do
1: have to I mean, start he's calling perfect. it. He's he's great at that. He just did the value trap basket and just did a whole bunch of very popular tickers.
0: That's true. The, it's the-
1: it's bound to get engagement.
2: I think if we called Nelnet the next Berkshire. That's what I always do for the Motley Fool. So honestly, that could work.
0: I just feel so crummy when I say that sometimes.
2: Yeah, but do you like getting article bonuses, Ryan, or not? Yes. uh,
1: What was I going to say here? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't find the quote, but I thought there was a time when when Bezos was still around where he's like, kind of said something along the lines of, buckle up, this is going to be a huge investment period.
2: That was right at the start of COVID. First quarter earnings call after COVID. It was during the call? I think so. Or the letter. I didn't find it in the letter, so I think it must have been in the call,
1: but he said that and everyone's like, oh yeah, okay, here we go. Big investment period. And then the investments happened and everyone's like, what's going on? Why are we (laughs) unprofitable?
2: Yeah. And then they blame Jassy.
1: (laughs) Like, like, bring Bezos back. We need him.
2: Yeah. He's the one that wanted to do all this yeah mads capital says i'm sorry for that guy's match will make a comeback soon he put that in the value trap basket it's all right i think i'm honestly there's a couple quarter there's a couple companies this quarter spotify iac that were pretty disappointing match really not so uh, i'm feeling good about that one but maybe that's you know it's a trap kind of of thing
1: yeah there was there was some bummer quarters you know what's funny this match i thought had a good quarter,
2: yeah. I would have, and, I would have guessed the stock would be in the fifties, but I can never
0: predict it.
1: Yeah, the other thing that I found kind of ironic is if you look at the IAC shareholder letter, he's like, uh he said, Joey Levin says something along the lines of, "We're up on our buybacks."
0: Oh yeah. Like, and
1: he's like, "Not that, that matters, but it's it's better. It's nice to have a." nice to have it positive instead of negative just because they, they bought shares at like i don't know it was like average of 52 or something like that and the stock was at 60. and then like you wrote that and now the stock's got to trade back down to 52.
2: yeah i think uh let me pull it up right now I'll wait.
0: Uh, it's at 58 but still it did collapse a lot right after they reported yeah i mean I guess it was
1: right, but you just don't even need to put that in the letter.
0: Yeah, I'm
2: all for that buyback, but yeah. Okay, well, do you want to talk about these interesting nuggets from interviews with Alice Schroeder, who wrote The Snowball? Yes. Okay, so for anyone that doesn't know, she wrote the big biography on Buffett, the one that's the most popular. She spent, I think estimated 2,000 hours with him over what had to have been multiple years profiling him for the book, interviewing everyone. But when it got published, Buffett may have thought it got too personal or something like that, too much into his personal life. So he kind of got really mad at her and hasn't really talked to her much since. So she, uh, I guess, is a little open about not just being positive (laughs) about stuff he does. Uh, So there was this interesting quote or article from Necker Substack. uh, The guy that writes it is Frederick. I can't pronounce your last name. Excuse me. Gishin. He's on on Twitter. I think he's German. So hard hard to pronounce your name. Apologies, Frederick. But there were some interesting quotes here.
0: So let me just find one about, I got to scroll down here. Okay. The importance
2: of Charlie Munger. So basically, she said that his biggest weakness, this is the quote here, his biggest weakness is the flip side of his strength. He is very rigid and he doesn't really listen. He has incredibly firm convictions and is often right. But when he's headed down a wrong track, he tends to not pay attention to contrary information. And that's one of the roles that Charlie Munger plays that is really important is he is one of the few people who can tell him no or actually say you're wrong and he'll actually listen to them i thought that was interesting but it seems what's weird is he always pray you know praises and talks about like all right you got to be open you gotta admit your mistakes and stuff like that but in reality he has the same problems as everyone else is getting you know too much into your conviction
1: i thought you were explaining munger at first when you said that i was i was thinking alibaba
2: that's true. It's probably the bet- same. I mean, it, we're all, we're all the same. So,
1: yeah, but they balance each other out pretty well.
2: Yeah. Here's another one that I thought was quite interesting where it made me, I don't know if it's hesitant, but kind of shows that his early stuff may not work today. Uh, so she was basically asked, would Buffett not be as successful today? Um, the first one was basically he would now do the work back then, he would do the work that a lot of people still do today, which is kind of you know, talking to people, finding all this stuff, and the internet made it a lot easier to find all this information. But the second thing that apparently he did is he was uncommonly good at going around and talking to management and getting to them to tell him what their business plans were. This used to be perfectly legal. In fact, the insider trading world has evolved a lot, and he was great at finding out if there was a tender offer coming or something like that, and you cannot do that anymore. So I don't think he liked, he probably did not like her explaining that to the public, but I guess this was legal back then. And he was a little bit more aggressive than I think a lot of people who just know him as the
0: Berkshire Hathaway CEO would present themselves as. Yeah, that, I mean, it doesn't paint him in a very good light,
1: but it doesn't necessarily surprise me all that much reading reading snowball you kind of got that sense because i mean if you look at that scorecard in those early days he was putting up numbers where it's like it's you can't just pick lucky stocks like you have to have a sense of what management will do and i mean i think it was more accessible there was just less competition back then so maybe it was a little easier to get access to some of these management teams
2: yeah. And and I, some uh, of the times
0: he ended up being the controlling shareholder.
2: Yeah. It it yeah. And what's interesting is it it wasn't it's the informational advantage that helped him a ton in the early days, right? Not it wasn't the only thing. But that is slowly slowly gone away. So I think trying to learn from him it's kind of tough because okay, the information now with the internet has just been democratized everywhere and it's really choosing what you know, information to look at, you know, there's the information overload that people talk about with investing. So so it's honestly flipped like 180 degrees where now it's, and they talk about this and one of the quotes here was talking about how, and everyone knows this, he goes to the office, puts on CNBC on mute, and then reads with the blinds down. And she made a joke that he doesn't need sunlight or something like that, where it's, it's about not getting, you know, the wrong information and all this crazy information out there that you can just get an endless overload on. So it's the complete opposite of, as of what it was like in the '40s, '50s, '60s. I think.
1: Yeah, and it, I mean, let's not pretend like he isn't putting up solid performance today. Like his investment, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Today, there's no information. He didn't have an informational advantage on Apple. He didn't have an informational advantage on Coca-Cola. You know, kind of some of those really strong performing investments that were kind of his second act those are still
0: good and the other part is yes he adapted his style the way he needed to but let's not pretend like
1: getting that informational advantage he wasn't a byproduct of him working harder than most people because yeah he worked way harder than most analysts investment managers out there
2: that's true. That's pretty clear from the snowball as well. All right. Here's one more. Or maybe there, there could be a couple. So she was asked, how is Warren, Warren different from other investors? Uh, first one is the talk about behavior. But I think these the second, she gave a three. The second one is quite interesting. Here's the quote. His knowledge of business history, politics, and macroeconomics is both encyclopedic and detailed, which informs everything he does. If candy sales are up in a particular zip code in California, he knows what it means because he knows the demographics of that zip code and what's going on in the California economy. When cotton prices fluctuate, he knows how that affects all sorts of businesses and so on. So that's one I don't think people can really learn from is just having a crazy memory. But I thought that was quite interesting. Where he talks about again, he's like, "Oh, anyone can do what I do, and anyone can anyone can do this. You just have to have a nice psychological temper. You don't have to get over emotional, and you just buy business at a cheap price." But in reality, I think a lot of what made him successful is that he was just incredibly smart. But he can't tell (laughs) say that to the national audience at the shareholder meetings now.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly gifted memory wise, but once again, I it does. Like he,
1: he he read voraciously and frankly, but and I think but like ninety he, percent he, of his waking hours.
2: Yeah, and was, but here's the thing: it was like twelve hours straight a day, and that's literally not possible for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the population. I like I can't do that; I can only do a couple hours a day. So it's I mean, the,
1: and it's also i mean half the time people don't even have the, the opportunity to do that like you know they have other well, commitments. He did,
2: yeah i mean he did sacrifice basically anything else in his life family any sort of vacations whatever
1: yeah i mean spent an incredible amount of time or dedicated an incredible amount of time to it but i mean he's still you know he still has relationships with all his kids and all that stuff so it's not like they're it's not like
2: uh, i mean he doesn't see him yeah, it's true. That's true. I don't think we want to get into that. All right, here's another one. The third part, which said separates him, is the way he looks at business models. This one, I think, could be replicable. It's, quite, it's something to learn from. The best way I can describe it is that if, I, as if you and I see an animal and he sees its DNA, he isn't interested in whether the animal is furry. All he sees is whether it can run and how well it will reproduce, which are the two key elements that determine whether its species will thrive. So I think that's a good one. It's kind of having that mental or muscle memory of looking at businesses, what ones are successful, having that pattern recognition of, okay, what are the competitive advantages? How are they going to last? Blah, blah, blah. I think that's one that a lot of people can learn from. That's one that we try to continually get better on as we study
0: businesses you know, for the podcast. Yeah. I think I'd like to think that, I've, that we've improved on that
1: over time getting Whether a better sense of like the fabric of what these businesses really are and what what's important in terms of driving their performance over the long run. Uh I think it's kind of interesting that we looked at AutoZone today because it, we're going to be talking about that probably in a couple hours here for a not so deep dive and it's one of those where the how how easily can they reproduce? I mean, it's replicable. It's a simple model they grow like kind of at a, just a consistent rate.
2: Little teaser that probably best meant we talked about, we've had a strict of great management teams coupon. I was like, this may be the best managed team of new companies. AutoZone could be the best
0: management we've ever looked at. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I wasn't, if he's ever been in, it seems like a Buffett style. Yeah.
2: Maybe he never got cheap enough. I don't he te- I don't think he likes retail as much. Remember he kind of was hesitant on Walmart, you know, and he should have bought that. I think he would maybe say the same thing about AutoZone. Um maybe it's something he didn't understand as much. Maybe he didn't like the automotive market, but I think he's just so really hesitant on retail. Yeah. He definitely under can understand it. He understood Walmart, but he's just hesitant compared to something like Coca-Cola or American Express, which are a little more capital light. I think here's the or
1: uh, go on. Uh, as I was say, and it's funny, AutoZone and Walmart have very much a similar blueprint in terms of what made them successful. I think they were actually friends, Sam Walton and the founder of AutoZone. I think pit Hyde was on the board of Walmart for a long time. So, yeah, it feels like, I don't know. It feels like a simple business that he would have understood, though.
2: Okay. Yeah, I understand. Or I agree. I didn't mean to say it. I, I definitely agree. The, Last part here, I think this is one that anyone can take away from any listener here, three-step investment process for Warren Buffett. This is from her Reddit AMA. Uh, First one, I think we can all take away from this. We try to basically uh, base our investments off of this kind of thing as well. First, is it an addressable investment? He rules out a lot of stuff that has too much tail risk, or he has no edge on in the market, for example, thinking he can be smarter at buying Johnson & Johnson than everyone is essentially market timing. Warren rules out that out unless he has some insight he is convinced no one else has. Example, probably Apple. He may not always be right, but his the approach and works over time. So basically, do you understand this one and is it understandable for you? So something like that. Second, downside protection. This is probably one that we would hopefully needed to learn earlier. He looks for multiple ways to avoid losing money if you look at the preferred stock deals he did after the financial crisis he fenced in these companies and built in so many ways to avoid losing money it was almost funny he would he will pass on huge upside opportunities if he can't get downside protection i think that's one a lot of people take away from and it's hard to understand and it's hard to do but i think it's one you
0: want to probably reiterate time and time again and we try to reiterate yeah, I don't think we're ever going to I don't think most people
1: can build in the kind of margin of safety he was able to do in the later years because I mean he was like like well, you said yeah. I I remember that what was it the Harley Davidson preferred yeah. like you basically structure it so that you're the first person to get paid kind of thing but it's uh yeah that's definitely something we've failed to do at times.
2: Yeah. All right, last one. I think this one is One that is really important when identifying an investment opportunity, especially if you're kind of in the same Buffett type buy and hold camp or, you know, buy and hopefully never sell, is capital generating power. His focus is on how much capital an investment can produce that can be either reinvested within the business or elsewhere. So what she means by this is either the company has a long reinvestment runway at attractive return on invested capital, or they're going to return it to you through dividends
0: and buybacks. That one is so simple, but I think it's always underrated. Yeah. That, I think the reinvestment runway
1: is kind of an interesting one because it's identifying, it, it's harder than de-identifying the moat. I think it's pretty easy sometimes to identify when something is competitively advantaged, but a moat isn't that good or isn't that useful if you can't. Like returns on invested capital is nice, but you have to be able to invest that capital and i think that's harder sometimes to assess like okay i'm going to go back to the auto auto zone example because we're talking about it today clearly they generate good returns on the money they put into new stores but they've got 6200 stores in the united states they've got 700 in california 700 in texas is there really room like i guess i don't have a good sense on whether or not there's still room to invest more capital in the U S and kind of put more stores down or I don't understand the Mexican well, market, which is their second one.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll hopefully help you out there as I was the one that's covering the industry there. It might be a little more attractive than you think, or maybe the lay person thinks as you'd probably think it's a more mature business, but I totally agree. The reinvestment runway is sometimes harder to evaluate, which is why I think the margin of safety with that is buying at a cheaper earnings multiple with a management team that will continue to buy back stock if the stock remains cheap which can that's where a lot of your returns can come from um if you buy a stock at a 10 times earnings yield or excuse me 10 earnings yield they continue to buy back stock it remains at a 10 percent earnings yield and the business is durable so or growing you know flatter growing you're going to have decent returns all right, here's maybe one other one. And I think this is one people know a lot about is his bit uh disqualifying things, his quick, you know, judgments on a on a business opportunity or an investment opportunity. And she said, typically, and this is not well understood, although I think now it's understood, uh, his way of thinking is that there are disqualifying features to an investment. So he rifles through, and as soon as you hit one of those, you're done. So don't she says, don't like the CEO, forget it. Too much tail risk, forget it low margin business,
0: forget it stuff like that. I think mean, that's one that a lot of investors can take away from where yes, like if you
2: don't like if you if the business looks great and the CEO you don't trust, the stock can still do really well. There's plenty of examples that we've had over the last five six years of CEOs that make us nervous. they've done extremely well. I think it's probably even more prevalent during this time period, but
0: I think the key is if you don't trust the CEO, you're not going to be able to trust if the stock draws down over 50%. Yeah. I mean, that's where I think insider ownership is such a big part. And I guess how much are they getting
1: paid rec- relative to their actual performance? It's hard. If someone asks like, what are the red flags for a CEO? Like,
2: what I can't do you tell them. I just, I just yeah. don't like them. I just don't like him.
0: I, know, I literally listened to, to them. Say.
2: I listened to the AutoZone call, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's legit. He's not a liar. Yeah. Like he's he's just honest." There is some I listen to, and I'm like, "You are just trying to make yourself look good and then get paid." Yeah, PayPal. I mean, you know, paypal's is clear example of that. All all, no names there, but the entire team. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I
1: I'm not sure. You kind of. It's hard to describe like what, what exactly makes one a good CEO, but when you see it, you know it. And I think you just have to study a lot of them to figure it out. But the AutoZone one, maybe it was... Did you listen to the recent conference call? Yes. Yeah. I don't want to belabor over AutoZone too much, but there was a like one of the analysts asked a pointed question. And he's like, that was a very interesting way of phrasing it, but I appreciate your question. <laughs>
2: Yeah. That's, and he was like, they were like, well, you law Yeah. They're like commercials growing slower than one of your competitors right now is a bad quarter on commercial. And he's like, to be honest, you are right. Like we need to be better. And that's all he said. And It's just a refresher because a lot of times management teams will try to spin it, you know, throw you through the spin cycle on that. But I think that's enough Buffett. That was a fun segment. Ryan, you had something else here, Disney earnings. Maybe Roblox could be fun. Uh, but if you want to talk Disney, I can maybe pull up some Roblox numbers because we haven't looked at that at all. Uh Did I have that?
1: that? I have that pulled up?
2: I uh, thought you had Disney in the file here. Oh, never mind. You had Icon.
1: Well, no, I thought it was. But we can talk about Disney. I, I honestly haven't looked
2: at it. Um, okay. Do you want to pull it up? So have, we'll have see you, what the numbers. Yeah. Were?
0: Have you taken a look at it yet? Uh, besides seeing a few charts on Twitter now, I think it was bad. But that's enough Well, speaking let's, of let's the, walk through it right now. Speaking of the spin cycle,
2: yeah, I mean Disney every time. I also I literally just I don't know.
1: I just look for confirming evidence whenever I get Disney because I don't really like Bob Iger. But uh, okay, I'm going through it right now. Sorry if you hear clicks in the mic. No, revenue I don't hear it. revenues grew four percent. Okay, let's just go to the segments because I don't know. segment results.
0: Entertainment, media, distribution. Okay, so basically streaming
1: and everything else.
2: Yeah, TV down one percent.
1: Parks, experiences, and products
0: up thirteen percent. Damn. God, it's so consistent. They amortized. What's TFCF? <laughs> no clue. Their, their earnings reports are hard to decipher,
2: honestly. They, I think, you know, it's funny. This is another red flag.
0: They changed their segments again.
1: That is a big red flag. It really upsets me. Um, okay, here's the other thing. Look at these adjustments. It's saying segment operating income is three point. What segment is this for? Total segment operating income three point six billion. Actual operating income negative one hundred thirty four million. The adjustments here.
2: What? Wait. What segment? What segment operating? I think it's like parks because, or, or both.
1: Uh, looks like it's
0: combining but, parks and TV and movies. I don't know. There's not. I think it's both. Yeah, it's both.
2: Okay. So the segment is positive, but when you add in corporate costs.
1: No, when you add in $2.7 billion in restructuring and impairment costs, $300 million in interest expense, $400 million in amortization of Hulu intangibles and TFCF, which I'm blinking on what TFCF is, plus $295 million in corporate and unallocated shared expenses. I never
2: like that because those aren't one time. It's just, yeah,
1: I don't know. I mean, it's the same problem that seemed like it started with. I, I guess here's something interesting: DTC revenues were growing nine percent, so that's Disney Plus. Linear
0: networks declining by uh, uh, seven percent. The raising price,
2: half
1: a billion in DTC losses.
2: Okay, so it seems which is an improvement. Like, yeah, and I think. The parks is fine, right? It's going to be steady. They're making a big bet here and they're raising prices on their streaming offerings. They're also trying to push people into ad f- or separate the cost between ad free and advertising supported. So I think maybe pushing more people to the advertising side. Do you think they can raise
0: prices like they have on Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus? Because I. Uh, <laughs> I don't well, think they really can.
1: At Disney Plus core,
0: so excluding they, in India, excluding
2: Hotstar, yeah,
1: yes, so, so no Hotstar, no ESPN Plus, no Hulu. Uh, they grew subs one percent while increasing average revenue per sub by two percent. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's <laughs> such a, it's one that I flip flop on all the time, frankly, because it's like obviously they have good IP. But the value of that IP, when people are producing, when Netflix is producing new content every month, HBO is producing new content every month, and it's getting more and more competitive. Like, I don't think the back catalogs really matter that much anymore. I know maybe it's different if you have kids, I get that, but.
0: That's a small subset. You're also competing with YouTube in a big way. And so it's just
1: the streaming one. Is difficult to wrap my head around obviously parks is a good business but i just would have absolutely no way to forecast how many subs could they have how much would those subs pay and how much would it cost to make those subs happy yeah like there's no way to know
2: for me
0: and it's just gonna get worse
2: and worse or not worse and worse it's gonna get harder and harder to make up for the losses in traditional TV, because those that revenue is just kind of decline
0: and decline and decline until it goes away. Uh, sometime, I don't know when, but they uh, they lo- also
1: ESPN Plus lost the MLS contract. Uh, a bummer of a time.
0: <laughs> yeah, bad
1: Apple, timing on that.
2: I mean, that's Apple not really that's not really relevant, but to ESPN. it may have been two paid subs it could have, yeah for sure for espn plus paid subs they would have probably what boosted probably like 5 10 million for sure
1: yeah because apple's getting
2: <clears throat> i i i they
1: gave out some of the numbers and they said it was definitely helped by Messi coming but the uh they're also paying the, a lot it, more yeah and so the business it, it wouldn't affect anything for disney overall absolutely yeah no way but or even Apple, absolutely not.
0: Yeah, it's just, I, I, I mean, maybe
1: it would make. It, it's kind of a good example of having a business built on sports streaming rights is not good.
2: Yeah, or or by itself, like Amazon can make it work because it's not the it's core a part of a holistic <laughs> bundle. Yeah, yeah, it's it, and it's driving kind of a holistic advertising
0: offering. Really, yeah, it's. Disney, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what they do. I think
2: they made the big mistake of putting, pumping out too much stuff when they have to, they had to have been more like high quality, low quantity. That's how they should have succeeded. And yeah, that gets you less revenue and earnings in the short run, but it creates you up for much better. Because now when uh, any sort of Disney property comes out with something, and I guess Star Wars is pretty uh, on the movie side. Low quantity, but they've been so bad that people don't like them as much anymore. But when it's high quantity, people don't think of it as an event and you don't really get it talked about. Like, what if they made 10 Barbie movies? No one would care anymore. But when it's that one, when it's that unique thing, and when it's, I don't know. I think they're just in, they're in an impossible, Disney's in an impossible situation. But I'm going to give out some numbers on Roblox. I know this is one we've looked at before. It's kind of been on the watch list, but Sort of not. I'm going to give you some numbers here and tell me if you liked the quarter or not. So bookings, which is their revenue figure, $781 million, up 22% year over year. Cash provided by operating activities, barely positive at 28 million. So kind of break even there. uh, Free cash flow, negative, uh, slightly negative, but they got a big cash buffer, so they're okay. Daily active users growing 25% year-over-year to 65.5 million. If you look at DAUs by region, they're growing across the board. If you look at hours engaged, up 24%. So in line with DAUs, they're engaging with the product. Um, Average booking per DAU is declining, I think, as they move into more international regions. What do you think, Ryan? Stock was down over 20% on this and the market cap is currently just 18 and a half billion dollars still not super cheap versus that booking number, but
0: roblox looks interesting they continue to grow continue to execute seems like a good business uh well my only
1: concern here is i thought last quarter dave Bazuki kind of came in and said we're going to start to moderate costs
0: yeah, he or said, well, we're going to slow, it,
1: we're going to slow spending or whatever. And we're going to start to see the operating leverage. And it does not sound like they
2: saw that at all. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's tough to have that happen in one quarter because of the, it's not a overnight thing, but I believe they said it was going to happen within the
0: next, Yeah, you know, by early 2024, next few quarters, start seeing it. But I guess you can never, that's a tough situation. As we talked about the Amazon, it's hard to get conviction that the margins will expand if they aren't because like the bet, betting on margin expansion is 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 hard because for
2: multiple reasons because it's just hard to like how is the business model going to be structurally changed there's a lot of
0: friction in changing a company's cost structure we'll see hey, last quarter cash flow on a on 770
1: million roughly in bookings Cash flow was 174 million.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just timing. Yeah. I mean, Q two Q two is always low outside of the pandemic. I All wouldn't right. really. I would take a trailing twelve month basis on that. Maybe summer. Summer. Summer's, summer's, summer's
2: weak. Summer's always weak for them because of a uh, summer break.
1: Yeah, it says we are entering an exciting phase of our business. As a result of our hiring over the past few years, we now have a robust, mature product development organization. We believe that with the momentum we see in bookings, we can now begin to slow our year over year increases in headcount and compensation. Should see operating leverage. Yeah, I guess it'll take time, but I I do. I like the business. And my biggest concern when the company IPO'd was that. There would be some sort of fluctuation in terms of engagement, or that there maybe there was like maybe it was just kind of like the fortnight of the modern day because and I know there's games within the games. It's kind of its own little digital universe. but at the end of the day, people are clicking on Roblox versus clicking on other games, clicking on other apps, choosing to spend their time there. So I thought maybe something would have come along and replaced it. But all the engagement trends have gotten better. And they've got like, what is it? Friggin 70, 60, 70 million daily active users that spend like an hour and a half on there a day. So,
2: yeah. And this is one where I think the moat, it's easy to track whether the moat is widening because if hours engaged are growing, I think the competitive advantage widens because if there's more hours engaged, that means there's more time for their developers to make money. So yeah, I think over the like it's a hundred percent not to YouTube's moat yet, and I think YouTube has one of the strongest moats in the world. But I think their end state could be there ten years from now. I'm just not totally convinced it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and they've gotten to older users too, or they've aged up with their users as their users have gotten older. I still don't think it's ever going to be you know a thirty year old platform, but. They're starting to capture more of the teenage demographic and sixteen and up. We'll see, though. We'll see. Yeah, which it's even I don't know how like fourteen year old versus a seven year old is there that much higher of a propensity to spend? Probably not. But they generate plenty more, of though. bookings. I know, but they you think they're going to get to thirty year olds? If there's thirty year olds on the platform, they're probably not the thirty year
2: olds you want. Yeah, I don't know if they change like it's there's a lot of stuff of changing not, you know, how it's like Minecrafty little kid type stuff now, but they're building a lot of tools for more professional style developers to build stuff on there. So I think over time they can build stuff where that's basically equivalent to what the publishers that 20, 30, 40 year old people are playing. I mean, so I see, I see. Yeah, but it, it's going to take multiple years and, They've seen, they said that their high, their fastest growing demographic is 17 to 24. And as that ages up, like they're, they're slowly, like they said, their strategy is to slowly move up to older and older and older. And I think that makes a lot of sense because the older people value the graphics better. So it's not there yet. Cause it's a lot of it's streaming. A lot of it's third-party development costs and stuff like that, or excuse me, third-party development tools and they're not going to be able to create like a call of duty style game today or allow people to do that but i think in many years or you know 10 years they could it's going to be a long time but i would say i agree with you in like a three to four year time span but i wouldn't count them
0: out giving their um stated strategy over the next 10 years yeah you know who else reported
1: marquetta do you remember them
2: sure yeah why don't we go over them last we got about four minutes here i think so
1: well the only thing that really happened so i remember block is like 78 percent of their bookings or whatever or their volume they renewed their agreement with the cash app which was like this big hang big kind of overhang on the stock but it looks like they got way worse terms so apparently blocks taking some of the payment volume themselves let me just go to what this guy says. Okay, marketa cash app renewal comes at a forty percent lower gross profit. Well, this new contract will confuse the algos. Revenue estimated to decline fifty percent, but gross profit by ten percent
0: for marketa Not sure. I think those two are a little counterintuitive, or counterproductive. Uh
1: i guess gross profit concentration for block will be at about it's it's about 50 percent as opposed to revenue which is higher
0: yeah that's it's tough still, it's it's enormous.
2: <laughs> they're basically just an api to facilitate facilitate uh crime so that's not a bad business to be in <laughs> or excuse me the underbanked <laughs> right yeah the, uh, the cash card well, i mean the cash out with that bitcoin stuff is so like it would be so easy to do stuff
0: illicitly and getting proof for a cash card is like there's no review <laughs> there's nothing yeah and we've seen the kind of at the, p- the, short the short
2: reports, reporter, the short reports—they've like, done some investigations. Yeah, this isn't just my feels like I paid for
1: that murder with Cash App, and the, yeah, and then like Cash App was like, they're singing about us in songs. It's like okay,
2: yeah, Marquetta never made sense to me. I gotta say, no, I mean it's just an area I don't understand that well. All these companies, why, why would I invest in you over Visa, Mastercard, and Amex? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. I would if you study all these businesses. I don't understand these thoughts, but maybe it'll work.
1: It's, uh, it's ten thirty on the West coast. I think it's time.
2: Yeah. We will. We had two minutes left. Cause we uh, started. We start all
1: right. What else? Got anything.
2: Um,
0: what'd you think of the, did you look at Airbnb? Yeah. What'd you think? good. Yeah. I mean, it's good across the board. It looked
1: like supply was up like 19% or something like that.
0: Another it acceleration across
1: 7 million. Yeah. It feels like a platform that's just going to be, that's just going to grow in relevance over the years. I just can't get comfortable with the valuation at all.
2: You want to have a, uh, yeah, you want to have a, I don't know if this is a morbid thought. It's not a morbid thought. It's a morbid investing thought. I, I think I had a it was either in a tweet or a blog post or something, or I said the two, the three companies I'm most confident that are going to grow. This is like in 2020 or one. I said, was I was like Airbnb, Coupon, and Roblox. And I haven't made money on any of them yet. So
1: <laughs> yeah, but you'd, I'm be, never down, gonna own you'd be down on Coupon. I'd be down. You'd be down on Roblox. Yeah. You might be down
2: in general. I mean, Airbnb oh, yeah. had a $100
1: billion market cap. Didn't they? What are they at now?
2: Yeah, but I think what's the frustrating part is that, like all three of these, at one point you could have bought them for a decently, right? Coupon was close to ten dollars a share, Airbnb was well below a hundred, Roblox. Let me check what its low point was.
0: Roblox at one point was at well, oh, it's getting pretty close to its low point. Maybe that was the time, but yeah. I'm a little more cynical about
1: Roblox or skeptical about Roblox, I should say than than I am with Airbnb or Coupang Coupon.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, that's a great way to end it. Uh, We'll be talking AutoZone this week. Check out that coupon episode. I think it was really interesting. We're talking share cannibals uh, for the rest of the month. So Lowe's discover financial and then sprouts farmer's market. Thank you all everyone for tuning in. Remember we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. You can watch the Investing Power Hour on YouTube every Thursdays or listen Sundays on your podcast player of choice. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you for the comments. Hopefully it was fun. We'll see you next time.